Mr. Deputy Speaker, sir, before listening my engagements, I'm sure the whole House will join me in sending our condolences to the families of the two British soldiers killed in Iraq yesterday. They were doing a vital and important job, and we owe them a great debt of gratitude. I'm also sure that the House will join me in sending our warm wishes for a speedy recovery to Mr. Speaker. Mr. Deputy Speaker, so this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I will have further such meetings later today. Mr. Andrew Miller. Can I, I am sure on behalf of the whole House, associate uh, myself with uh, my right honourable friend's remarks about the soldiers and indeed uh, the absence of the Speaker? Um, my right honourable friend will be aware that in my constituency, local industry has done a tremendous amount uh, to address the issues of combating climate change. To remain competitive, uh, though, uh, these industries need strengthening of international agreements. What steps is my right honourable friend taking to develop such agreements? Along with uh, my right honourable friend, the Chancellor, and the Secretary of State for the Department of the Environment and Rural Affairs, and my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for International Development, we met the Stop Climate Chaos Coalition yesterday. And I think there are three major things that we need to, to do. First of all, we need to strengthen the international framework, um, both through the UN process and also the G8 plus 5 dialogue that has been very useful indeed. Secondly, we need stronger action at a European level, in particular the extension of the emissions trading system post-2012. And then thirdly, we need action here, obviously, too. And we are looking carefully at the idea that was put by the coalition yesterday for a carbon budget. But I think this country has led the way in the past few years in respect of the environment and climate change, and we must continue to do so. Yeah. David Cameron. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Deputy Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister in expressing our sympathy for the families of the two British soldiers who died in Iraq yesterday? They died serving our country, and we should honour their memory. I also agree with what he said about Mr. Speaker and wish him a speedy return. On a happier note, can I also thank the Prime Minister for the flowers he sent my family? Um, he may not know that I also received flowers from number 10 and number 11, so I hope I'm the first. <laughs> I'm delighted to be the first man in history to get bunched by both our Prime Ministers. <laughs> Yesterday, the government published its education bill. The phrase, trust schools, which appeared throughout the white paper, has disappeared. Can the Prime Minister confirm that he's renamed them foundation schools and that they have all the same freedoms? Well, first of all, let me uh, congratulate him very much on the birth of his child and wish him and his uh, family well uh, and say uh, thank you to him um, uh, for, for his thanks to me for, for the flowers <laughs> and say that I'm glad that they... Chancellor was immensely generous as well in sending flowers to him also. Um, whether he'll be as generous in the budget or not, I don't know, and I certainly hope that's the limit of his generosity to the right honourable gentleman. Um, <laughs> uh, the reason, we, we don't, for legal reasons, need to mention the word trust school, but it's exactly the same for specialist schools, which aren't mentioned in legislation either. But yes, the trust schools will have exactly the freedoms that we've set out in the legislation, and those freedoms will allow schools, by a simple vote of their governing body, to become self-governing trust schools. David Cameron. 
Good, so trust schools remain. That's important. Let me try and clarify... They do remain. That's clear. Let me try and clarify something else. The government's white paper said that local authorities would not be able to provide new schools. The Prime Minister made a concession and said they could, but the Education Secretary would have a veto. Will he confirm that as the bill goes through the House, that veto will remain in the bill? It it has to remain for this reason, that what we've made clear all the way through, and this is a change because we listened um, to the words of the local government association that includes Conservative as well as Labour members, who said if the driving force behind this is parental choice and parents actually want a new community school, it seems a bit much to prevent local authorities from being in the competition to provide a new school. However, let me emphasise, of course, that if a local authority proposes a new community school, it's not then the deciding authority that is done by the adjudicator. Um, And, of course, the Secretary of State has got to have the power to make sure that this is indeed in accordance with parental choice. Mr David Cameron. Good. So the veto remains in the bill. Good. Given the Prime Minister has our support... He doesn't have to make any further concessions to the rebels. So will he be clear, this bill will not be weakened any further? Yes, I do make that clear. But also, let me just say to the right honourable gentleman, I don't know whether he actually agrees with what we've done now and local authorities being able to propose community schools or not. Now, if, if, he do, if he does agree with that, because the local government association have said, Conservative as well as Labour members, that this should happen, then that is a point of agreement between us. And also, as far as I'm aware, he now supports us on selection and agrees that we should put in safeguards against selection. So, we now have a very, very happy consensus between us, and I look forward to seeing him in the lobbies. David Cameron. He will. He will see me in the lobbies. We back school freedom. That's 200 of us. If he can just find 150 of his own MPs, we can get on and pass the bill. Now, two former cabinet ministers, the right honourable member for Tyneside and the right honourable member for Darlington, have said the prime minister's position would be untenable if he relied on conservative support. Does he agree with me that that's nonsense and he should just get on and do the right thing for school standards and for our children? Let me tell you, we are doing the right thing for our children. And what we've done so far as a result of the changes, the investment and reform in our schools, is that we have raised standards substantially. We have got a situation where we've got 100,000 extra staff in our schools, teachers and teaching assistants. We've got the biggest ever building programme for schools underway. We have... But the best results this, school has e- this country has ever had for schools at the age of 11, at the age of 16, at the age of 18. And so we will continue to do the right thing for uh, children in our country because we want to make sure that every child, no matter what their background, gets the best start in life. Yeah. 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 Could I ask the Prime Minister what information is available about the whereabouts of uh, Osama bin Laden and what intelligence reports are available about his activities? Well, uh, on the whereabouts, uh, for obvious reasons if I knew, uh, (laughs) but in respect of the... uh, In respect of... In respect of... um, the activities, there's absolutely no doubt that around the world, uh, Al-Qaeda and link groups are causing acts of terrorism, are engaged in acts of terrorism that are killing many, many innocent people. 
And whatever part of the world it is, whether it's in Iraq or Afghanistan or any of the Middle Eastern countries or indeed here in Europe, this organization, with its evil ideology, continues to kill wholly innocent people in an attempt to destroy the values that I believe most people in the world share of democracy and freedom and respect for human rights. So, Mingus Campbell. I associate my honorable and right honorable friends with the expressions of sympathy <coughs> which the Prime Minister made at the beginning and, of course, extend our good wishes to the Speaker for a speedy return. The Prime Minister recently described Camp X-Ray in Guantanamo Bay as an anomaly which would have to be dealt with sooner or later. When will it be dealt with? Sooner or later? Well, as I said, I hope that uh, the judicial process can be put in place, which means that Guantanamo Bay can close, as I think it should for the reasons that I've given. However, the reason I always qualify my answer on this issue is as follows. This arose out of the worst terrorist act this world has ever known, in which 3,000 totally innocent people lost their lives in New York. And those people who were picked up in Afghanistan were people who were engaged in helping those reactionary forces there to defeat American and British troops. So I agree it is an anomaly, and that's why it has to end. But I'm afraid I will always, when I answer questions on this, draw attention to the circumstances in which it was introduced. But along with the outrage of Guantanamo, there remains also the continuing problem of the unequal extradition arrangements between the United Kingdom and the United States. How can the Prime Minister be comfortable with an extradition treaty which results in British citizens having inferior rights to American citizens and a treaty which the United States Senate shows no signs of ratifying. I don't accept that the rights of British citizens are subject to unfairness. I don't accept that. And I'm, I'm very sorry to have to say this to the right on gentlemen and to the Liberal Democrats that I just sometimes wish they would spend a little bit of the amount of effort they do attacking the United States on, on understanding why these issues of international terrorism are so important, why it is important that we actually stand with our allies in defeating this global terrorism. Uh, you can, people can say what they like about it, but I am also entitled to say what I like about this. And I do find the, way, the, the, the uneven way that the Liberal Democrats express themselves on this issue, sorry, all the time, I actually find that an affront given what people are facing right round the world in the face of a global terrorism that I would have thought we could unite and defeat. Jonathan Shaw. Isn't it the case that the terrorist attacks on Londoners in July murdered people of all faiths and was condemned by people of all faiths? If someone carries a placard announcing, Europe, you will pay 7-7, it's on its way, wouldn't most British people agree that that statement glorifies terrorism? So will he say to the Lords, glorification... Or, or, order, order. I think the point has been made. Prime Minister. The point has been made, and uh, the point has been made, and obviously I agree with it. Mr David Cameron. 
Thank you, Mr. Deputy Speaker. On, on bird flu, is the Prime Minister personally convinced that all the necessary preparations have been made? In particular, are there sufficient quantities of bird vaccines, and when will the government set out the circumstances in which vaccination will actually be used? Isn't it essential that we don't repeat the mistakes of foot and mouth when decisions over such issues were simply left too late in the day? I don't actually agree with them on, on, on uh, vaccination. I mean, look, the, the position is this. We, we have a, a series of people, our chief scientific advisor, the chief veterinary officer and others who advise us, and we basically uh, and sensibly follow their advice. Since I'm not an expert, he's not an expert, but these people are. And the reason why we have taken the view against vaccination on their advice is that what they say is that vaccination is effective to stop uh, birds dying, but it is not effective in stopping the virus spreading. And therefore, their worry has always been that if you vaccinate, then you mask the disease, you don't actually stop it spreading. Now, that's their reason. And I think it's sensible in these circumstances to, as I say, stick closely with the expert advice that we receive. And yes, I am satisfied, uh, insofar as it's possible, uh, that we've got all the necessary precautions in place. David Cameron. Yesterday, the Chief Scientific Advisor actually said he anticipates bird flu will arrive in Britain. Why is the government waiting until April to carry out its full field trial for its contingency plans? Isn't there a strong case for bringing that forward? Again, this is the, the, the advice we have is that they are engaged in, in exercises both in January and again in this month that provide us with sufficient basis for um, the precautionary measures we're going to take. And in addition to that, the so-called Newcastle strain, the, 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 the disease that was there last, that meant that we also had an exercise last December, has given us a fairly strong basis on which to work. But as I say, said to the right honourable gentleman a moment or two ago, we have people who we meet regularly. I met them myself just the other day in order to be satisfied that the necessary precautions are in place. I think it's important that we maintain the right balance between taking the right precautionary measures and not unduly um, worrying or concerning people. The issue, in, in a sense, of course, um, as the, the Chief Scientific Advisor was saying, um, the risks are obviously enhanced of the H5N1 virus coming here as a result of it being found in Europe. However, the issue of whether it then spreads to poultry is one whole question, and that are, involves a different range of considerations. And then it, it is a completely separate issue as to whether that then transmutes into some human form of the virus, which is obviously completely different again. Now, as I say, what we do regularly is we have updates from those who are advising us to the precautions we take, and we try and strike that balance in the right way. And I'm very happy to make available to him any of the information we have so he can satisfy himself on that point too. Mr. Mark Perkin. Mr. Deputy Speaker, today is Ash Wednesday. Uh, when it comes to Northern Ireland, can the Prime Minister tell us that he and his government are definitely giving up side deals for Lent, and hopefully for good? Uh, will he set a date on which the institutions that are currently suspended can be restored and call an end to the malingering and the posturing of parties? Um, well, well, we'll do our best, as we, as we have over the, the years past, to try and get an agreement. But I think, as, as he knows from his long experience of dealing with this, in the end the government can facilitate, but it's for the parties themselves to agree. So if he can give me a little bit of help and reach agreement with the other political parties, I'm very willing to come in behind him. Mr Nick Herbert. In the southeast, reservoirs and rivers are at their lowest level for three decades, and there have been hose pipe bans in force for seven months. Given the government's proposals to insist on building 
more than half a million new homes in the southeast. Does the government not accept that it has a responsibility to address this deficit in local infrastructure first? It is important that we combine any development with local infrastructure, but I hope he also understands there is no way that any government responsibly at the moment could not plan to build more homes because we need more for the country. And that, that, is, I mean, that is a necessary, a necessary consequence of any sensible housing policy for the future. But he's right, of course it's important to put infrastructure um, planning in at the same time, and that is what we're doing. Um, and of course that requires a substantial extra investment, and fortunately the Chancellor has made the money available to do that. But I, I hope he's not trying to suggest that it would somehow be wrong to plan ahead for this increase in housing, because it's necessary. Mrs. Joan Humble. Thank you, Mr Deputy Speaker. Uh, is my right honourable friend aware of the work of the Commission for Social Care Inspection and the Stand Up for Social Care campaign run by the Community Care magazine to raise the profile of the 1.5 million people who work in social care and will he ensure that there are adequate resources made available so that social care workers can be equal partners in delivering on the health and social care agenda? Well, I think the, the, the point um, that my honourable friend makes is absolutely right. The government's provided some 11.5 billion for local councils for adult personal services this year, and that's an, an 850 million increase on the previous year. Um, but she's also right in drawing attention to the need to continue to develop the service for adult, adult social care, and that's why the independence, well-being, and choice white paper is a very, very important part of doing that, and I paid great tribute, incidentally, to the work that the voluntary sector do in this area. Richard Bacon. Will the present inquiry by the Cabinet Secretary examine whether or not the Home Office acted improperly in relation to an extradition request for Mr Mills? We will, of course, examine any allegations that are made and reply to them fully. Mr David Marshall. Thank you, Mr Deputy Speaker. I trust that my right honourable friend enjoyed the very warm welcome which he received in Aviemore last Friday when he addressed the Scottish Labour Conference and went on to break the ground for the Glendoe Hydroelectric Scheme. <laughs> Did he notice that after he left, the conference passed an excellent resolution on energy urging consideration of clean coal, new generation, nuclear generation alongside renewables? And does he consider that this is the sensible approach and that the Tories and SNP who reject onshore wind and nuclear generation respectively are playing fast and loose with our energy future. Yeah. I agree entirely with what my honourable friend says and I think the position adopted by the Scottish Party was extremely sensible. We need all of those things together. We need the renewables. Um, we obviously need to consider the issue of nuclear power for the future um, and of course clean coal technology is dramatically important as well. And I hope um, in the energy review that's been conducted when we publish the results, my honourable friend will see reflected there some of the very sensible concerns that were expressed in Amivore last week. Mr Rob Wilson. Does the uh, Prime Minister agree with me that his education bill is more radical than it first appears? Indeed, does he further agree with me it will deliver a final blow to the failed comprehensive education system in this country and the overweening powers of local education authorities? Yeah. Well, it's interesting that the, the, the Conservatives indicate that they're against the principle of all ability teaching. I think he's a bit behind his leadership there that have switched positions on that subject over the past few months. No, let me tell him, I believe absolutely in all ability teaching. I think that is important. 
But I also think that schools should have the freedom to develop within the process of all ability teaching in the way that they want to do, and the freedom to manage their own assets and staff in the way that they want. And let me just tell them it is under this government that we have seen dramatic improvements in the number of children getting the right results. That was as a result of investment that the Conservative Party opposed each and every point of the way. Lindsay Hoyle. Thank you, Mr Deputy Speaker. Does my right honourable friend agree with me? It is totally unacceptable to have 22% price increases in gas at the same time of profits of 1.5 billion by British Gas. Has the time not come for a windfall tax to ensure investment in new gas streams in the UK and further introduction of storage facilities in order to bring the price down to help the poor consumer in this country? Well, I agree with them that... uh, there will obviously be a lot of concern about the, the recent rises. I mean, it is true that uh, even with these increases, we are still well below the EU median level, and other countries have seen significant price increases as well. But, of course, he's right to draw attention uh, to the fact that these price increases are very steep. I happen to think one answer to it also, of course, is to liberalise energy markets in Europe still further. That is an important part of, of the answer as well, but I entirely understand the concern he raises. Graham Brady. Thank you. 11,000 fewer people in Altrincham and Sale have an NHS dentist than when he came to power. Why does he think that is? Because in in the end, back in the 1990s, as he knows... Yeah, I'm sorry. um, There was a contract... There was a contract introduced by the previous government in the early 1990s that allowed dentists to go out of the National Health Service if they wanted to. It is this party that has actually put more money into dentists and is hiring more dentists from overseas. But in the end, we cannot force dentists to come back into the National Health Service. And that is the reason there aren't dentists, more dentists on the NHS in his area. Rosie Cooper. Major cities appear to be prioritised um, by Northwest, in Northwest transport projects by regional bodies. Will my right honourable friend agree with me that long-standing local priorities, such as the Ormskirk bypass in my constituency, second in the Lancashire priorities for the last ten years, cannot be dismissed and demoted at a stroke? Well, I understand entirely uh, the concern, my honourable friend. Um, raises, although of course uh, the investment in this has, has significantly increased. I'm happy to look into the point that she raises in right there. Susan Kramer. The Prime Minister will be aware that the family of Emily Jenkins, who was tragically killed in the 7-7 bombings, have set up a charity to post on the internet basic non-confidential information about victims in a very timely manner to reunite victims and relatives. Why will his government not give the necessary permissions for the scheme to go ahead, especially in the light of the failure of existing systems to give any timely guidance to relatives on 7-7? I thought that we had um, a very great deal of provision um, available for those families who tragically lost people in the 7-7 bombing. I'm very happy to look at the uh, initiative that Beverly Chambers has put forward, and perhaps, again, I could reflect on that and get back to her on it as soon as possible. Mr. Jim Devine. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, quite rightly, my reliable friend congratulated the leader of the party opposite on the birth of his son, and again, wish him, wish him his, his wife, and his baby well. I feel a bit embarrassed. I haven't sent him flowers. But, but, <laughs> 
I wonder if we should remind them about the Labour Party's child tax fund with the so-called baby book bond, which has been advantageous to many of my constituents. There's been an immense amount done for, for children in this country, not just through the tax credits, but as he rightly says, through um, the trust fund and also, of course, for some of the poorest families in the country. As a result of the rises in, in child benefit, the minimum wage, uh, the childcare tax credit, the children's tax credit, all of which the Conservatives opposed, uh, we have done an immense amount to lift children out of poverty. Indeed, around about 700,000 children have been lifted out of poverty since we came to office. Returning to extradition, surely the Prime Minister cannot be comfortable that there is a situation as a result of his recent legislation that British citizens who are accused of non-terrorist offences can be extradited to the United States of America, yet the promised reciprocal legislation in America is not in place. What is the Prime Minister going to do to put pressure on the President to introduce this legislation quickly, and when will it come into effect? The, the, the issue, as I understand it, is actually uh, within Congress itself. However, it is important that we make sure uh, that we get the reciprocal provisions in place and we will continue to do all we can. We still believe, however, that it is right that we have these extradition proceedings in place in respect of America. Eric Martlew. The Clean Neighbourhoods and Environment Act, which we pushed through this, this House despite opposition, give local authorities tough powers to deal with environment issues like litter, fly-posting and graffiti. Is the Prime Minister convinced that the local authorities will use those powers? Well, around 20,000 uh, fixed penalty notices have been given by local authorities, but my honourable friend is quite right to draw attention to the fact that not enough local authorities are using them. And as I constantly say about this issue, which is linked to antisocial behaviour, we have given the powers to local communities, we've given the resources, but it's up to the communities themselves to use them. And he's quite right in saying the local authorities now have a great deal more power than they had before, and the fixed penalty notice is a very easy and simple way um, to make sure that for some of these things like dog firing and littering, um, that they can be easily dealt with by local authorities, but they need to use the powers they've been given. Jeremy Hunt. More than one million hard-of-hearing people say they use subtitles whenever they can. Does the Prime Minister not think it sets an extremely bad example that there is no such facility on our own Parliament channel? And will he take urgent action to make sure that deaf people have the same access to democracy as everyone else? I think for once I'm in the happy position of saying it's not, it's not up to me to decide how Parliament arranges its affairs in that way, but I'm sure that those who are looking at these things will listen. <laughs> I don't know an outbreak of laughter is the right response from our on friend there, but I'm sure I'm sure he will. I'm sure he will, uh, and no doubt those dis those discussions in the usual channels can take place. But it's not a matter for me; that is a matter for Parliament. Mr. David Crosby. Uh, thank you, Mr. Deputy Speaker. My, my right honourable friend uh, has done a fantastic job in uh, delivering. In, deli in delivering lots of things, but in particular, off-peak local travel to pensioners. Uh, so, will he put the icing on the cake by reducing the qualifying age for a free TV licence uh, to 65, uh, so that our pensioners uh, can then travel, keep warm, and watch the telly in peace? Uh, well, uh, I'm not sure I can, I can uh, promise to do that, I'm afraid. 
Um, but he is absolutely right in drawing attention to the fact that something like three and a half million households have benefited from the free TV licenses. There's the Winter Fuel Alliance. As he says, there's the free travel now for um, OAPs in the, in the, uh, at off-peak times. And if it's taken together with the money spent on pension credit, there has been a massive increase in support that this government has given to pensioners. And in addition, incidentally, four million pensioner households have been lifted out of fuel poverty. So I can't promise to do uh, more to my honourable friend, but he is entirely right in drawing attention to what we have done already. Mark Harper. Thank you very much, Mr Deputy Speaker. In a written answer to me this week, the Secretary of State for International Development confirmed that the government's success criterion for the Alternatively Livelihoods Programme in Afghanistan is only a 10% year-on-year increase in the uptake of legal livelihood opportunities. Is that really adequate to the challenge we face in Afghanistan, especially with the forthcoming deployment of British forces? If we fail, we will create not stability, but further insurgency and put our troops at great risk. Well, of course he's right to draw attention to to the issue and the problem, but we've got to make progress as we can. And a lot of that depends on the security situation. If we can go faster, we will. Uh, but we've set a target that we believe is reasonable um, at the moment. But it's, it's what is happening down in the south of Afghanistan is an attempt by al-Qaeda and the Taliban to regain control of a country that wants a democracy. And millions of its people have voted um, in democratic elections for the president and for parliament. And, of course, it's important that our troops do all they can to secure the situation so that that country can move forward in peace. Um, but the targets we've set um, on the change of livelihoods, the targets that we have set on the basis of advice given to us as to the realistic prospect of what we can achieve on a year-by-year basis. Mr David Taylor. Thank you, Mr Deputy Speaker. This could be the last answer in the session today. Could the Prime Minister take the opportunity to explain to the wider world why there's such a wide and and, and deep unease about the Trust School's proposal on this side of the chamber and uh, yet such such unfettered enthusiasm on the other side of the chamber. Isn't this uh, politics scripted by Lewis Carroll? Really helpful. uh, Speak for yourself. I actually will, will, will... Take a bet with my um, honourable friend that there will be more Labour MPs than Conservative MPs in the Yes lobby for the Education Bill. And he is entirely... Well, we'll wait and see. But he is entirely entitled to take the view that he does. But the reason why I believe in these reforms so passionately is that over the past few years we have made big improvements in our education system. But it is not good enough when even though that for all the progress and improvement, when far more kids are getting the GCSEs they need uh, at 16 than they were 10 years ago, still 40% don't get five good GCSEs. Now, in some of these poorest areas, for the schools that have been worst performing, it is necessary, in my view, to take radical action. We want to do that with local authorities. We want to make sure that we do it in a way that encourages schools to develop so that every single child, no matter what their background, what their class, gets the best start in life. And I actually think these are good Labour principles. Yeah.